0: Welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. I'm Dana Zook. I'm joined today by Jeff Roby, the Oklahoma Quality Beef Network Coordinator for Oklahoma State University. Welcome, Jeff. Hello, Dana. Jeff keeps the wheels turning for the OQBM program here on campus as the field staff handle the day-to-day of the program with producers across Oklahoma. Jeff, you've been on the podcast before, but give us a little background about yourself.
1: Third time, right?
0: I think so. I know. I was thinking this morning. It's third time's a charm. Third time's a charm. is going to be excellent.
1: Well, I am the OQBN coordinator, and while I have been here doing this, I've also been working on a master's degree in animal science, and I am nearing the end of that. So I'm uh, pretty excited to, to to see the light at the end of the tunnel there.
0: Yeah, I bet so. I invited Jeff on the podcast to discuss some interesting research that he's been doing while he's been here at doing his master's degree. But also wanted to jump in real quick and announce our Spring Calf Health Clinics, which Jeff has helped um, some of the area specialists coordinate. They're going to be held across the state. They will introduce the OQBN program give some guidance on vaccine handling and vaccination timing a little bit of what jeff's going to talk about his research and then some of the clinics will also offer beef quality assurance training and some of will be offering vaccination coolers or vaccine coolers to all who RSVP to those meetings. So watch the flyers. We will have a link in the show notes to all the meetings across the state, but we do have them in pretty much every quarter of the state. And so I will have a link to that in the show notes. Let's start with the OQBN program, Jeff. You've been on the podcast a few times to talk about it, but let's just give some of maybe our new listeners the background of the Oklahoma Quality Beef Network. For those who aren't familiar, it's a, preconditioning program um, with health management certification for cow-calf producers supported in part through a partnership between Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association and the Oklahoma Cooperative Extension Service. So Jeff, could you give us a few details so maybe producers have an idea of how maybe this could fit into their program on their operation?
1: So adding value is the name of the game, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Profit margins are slim, cattle business. Uh, And so any time you can squeeze out any extra penny that's possible, uh, it's a good thing, as long as it makes sense for your operation. Uh, You definitely wanna look at that and make sure the numbers work. Uh, But historically, uh, over the last 10 years, producers that have been uh, enrolled in our program have enrolled their calves, uh, average about a $15 uh, per hundredweight premium Uh, for their preconditioned calves over non-preconditioned calves. And so, like you said, uh, the program offers value-added marketing opportunities and health management certification. The program has several requirements that producers have to meet uh, in order for their calves to become enrolled in the program. Uh, And it's a pretty simple process. Buyers definitely see the value in these calves and uh, I think our participants also see uh, that value as well.
0: So Jeff, some of the things that we require in the program producers are already doing such as castration, some vaccination, um, bunk training or, you know, feeding them a little bit during the preconditioning program, weaning of 45 days is what our requirement is. Some producers with just maybe some tweaks to their program can really fit in very well and, and take advantage of some of that, those marketing opportunities.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's very common. Uh, i get phone calls from producers across the state all the time that say you know i'm already doing uh i'm already vaccinating i'm already castrating uh my bulls we're, we're already weaning and, and preconditioning but we're not getting credit for it and so mm-hmm. i think there's a lot of producers out there that uh, are doing the work but they're not getting paid for the work and so that's the thing that you know we want to make as many uh producers cow-calf producers aware of the program as as possible
0: right like jeff said he's a graduate student here at the osu animal science department he has done some research examining vaccination strategies for bovine respiratory disease and we refer to that just to make it simple as brd and it's a complex of a variety of diseases so jeff as a refresher could you give us a little background on the BRD complex and how it can impact calves?
1: Uh, Bovine respiratory disease is a uh, multifactorial disease, um, usually usually resulting from stress, uh, uh, the primary viral infection, and then also a secondary bacterial infection. Uh, It localizes in the upper and lower respiratory tract uh, and the adverse effects, we can see them throughout the the beef and dairy industries. Um, It affects nearly 2.3 million cattle annually. 90% of large feedlots have reported uh, incidences of of BRD. Uh, And in particular, BVD, uh, bovine viral diarrhea virus, which has been identified as part of the BRD complex, is one of the primary pathogens uh, that causes infection. Uh, And it has been linked to significant as a significant contributor to economic loss uh, in the feedlots
0: so let's just talk about this for a minute or so so just to give some perspective for oklahoma producers so here in oklahoma we have an extensive stocker sector due in part uh, to the small grain pasture a lot of it wheat that we have available in the wintertime. So a bulk of the calves weaned in the late summer or fall can conveniently utilize this forage resource, gaining a little weight um, during that, I call it a bridge from weaning to the feedlot sector. So we gain a little calves, gain a little weight and, and really do very well on that forage resource. Now, I say this because we see so much impact on those particular calves in that sector from BRD, or we can see that. Jeff, tell us a little bit why it's crucial to vaccinate in general at the cow-calf level before those calves reach that stalker sector, or stalker level.
1: Well, there's been a lot of research uh, done that has identified the earlier you can vaccinate these calves, the better off they will be. Uh, It gives them time to uh, build up their immune system uh, to build a more robust immune system uh, in a in a environment that is less stressful. Um, and so, we recommend with these preconditioning programs, we recommend getting these calves vaccinated early before they leave that ranch of origin. Uh, once they leave that ranch of origin, you know, then they're they're commingled with other animals. Uh, They're stressed from transportation, new diet. Uh, There's all kinds of factors that go into it that then increase that risk of exposure to the disease.
0: So it's a risk management, form of risk management to vaccinate calves um, and get them kind of um, set to go before we maybe go through a livestock market, before we take them to wheat pasture or that sort of thing. Your research in your master's degree focuses very closely on vaccine timing. Let's first talk about the options for vaccination in the OQBN program specifically, because your research pairs very well with our program. And let's talk just a little bit about that before we jump into kind of how, the evaluation of some vaccine timing.
1: Sure. Yeah. The research was basically, in a sense, modeled after the options that we provide to producers uh, um, the vaccination protocols that we offer for them to choose from. And so option one being that branding and weaning uh, and option two, pre-weaning and weaning and option three, weaning and post-weaning. And so the, the, the two that we really wanted to look at were the, were the two that the that, uh, that producers use most often uh, in the OQBN program. We looked at data uh, over the last uh, five years or so, and collected uh, information and and saw that option one, that branding and weaning, and then option three, weaning and post-weaning, were the most highly used protocols uh, by producers uh, within the OQPN program.
0: And I think, just so sort to of jump in here, I think probably we see that, do you think, because those are the most convenient times to get calves, up so when we say branding not everybody brands but that's like a springtime kind of working early general term yeah general term but but we're we're getting our cows up we're anyway during that time and so we see producers utilize some of that timing just because that's kind of a convenient time to use it so that's why i just wanted to throw in there that's that's why we see that
1: sure a lot of it goes back to tradition right um cattle ranches across the state have been Working their calves uh, during the springtime for generations. Right, um, and that's just something. Spring branding is a very, very popular time to work calves uh, here in the state of Oklahoma. Um, the other one, the other option, uh, popular option is that uh, weaning and post-weaning. Once the calves have already been right. uh, separated from their dams and they're they're held up in the in their pens being weaned, um, you know, they're all in one space, and so it's really convenient then uh to to give those shots to the animals
0: and i will say that a majority of cattle in oklahoma are spring calving A majority of the herds are spring calving cows so um that makes that's why we do the fall sales it's kind of why we're talking in that frame here because a majority of them do that
1: yeah historically speaking uh oklahoma is a spring-branding state. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a few producers that enroll in the program um, to market calves, um, fall-born calves in the spring, but definitely the the majority of the calves are definitely spring-born.
0: Okay. So Jeff, what was your research objective?
1: Well, so after identifying which options were most highly used by our OQBN participants, Uh, We wanted to examine the effects of vaccine type, being that killed vaccine versus a modified live, Uh, and then the timing of pre- and post-weaning calves uh, that were utilized most by OQBN participants. Also looking at animal performance and then that antibody response generated by those different vaccination strategies.
0: What types of vaccine timing did your research evaluate?
1: Well, so we looked at that option one, branding and weaning timing, uh, and then also the option three, weaning and post weaning. And so what we did was we had three treatments uh, within our study. Treatment one was a killed vaccine given at branding, and then followed up with revaccination of a modified live at weaning. Uh, Treatment two was a modified live given at weaning, followed up with revaccination with a modified live at weaning. And then option three, uh, did not receive any vaccination at branding. And so they kind of served as our control group Mm -hmm. in a sense. Uh, they received their vaccinations. The first one was at weaning and then revaccinated uh 14 days later uh, both of those were modified live vaccines
0: so jeff you mentioned you're mentioning two types of vaccines i heard killed and i heard modified live so can you give us a little bit of insight into the difference or why producers would use those two different types
1: part of the reason uh, why we modeled uh, the study this way uh, was through some more background research that we had done And we had seen that um, between 2014, 2018, we took a look at past producer uh, vaccination records. Mm -hmm. And we saw an increasing trend in the use of killed vaccines um, from 2015 to 2018. We wanted to understand a little bit more. And so there was a a survey that was done by the economics department here at Mm -hmm. OSU, the Oklahoma Beef Management and Marketing Survey of 2018, Uh, And they found out that 66% of the state of Oklahoma has no defined calving season. And so we took that and and one can speculate without having a defined calving season, that the uh, reproductive status of the dam is probably also unknown. A safe route to vaccinate calves and cows with having an unknown reproductive status is to use a killed vaccine because vaccinating calves or cows that have not had that, uh, exposure to a modified live vaccine previously, um, can, there is the potential for aborting fetuses. And so that's another reason why we think that that use of killed vaccines is so high.
0: And it's, and it's a little, I think producers see it as just a little bit safer. And for those producers that maybe haven't heard of that, their veterinarian probably has worked with them, you know, Mm -hmm. to instill that sort of practice.
1: Yes, but one of the troubling parts mm-hmm. about using the killed vaccine uh, is that the label requirements call for a booster about fourteen to twenty-one days following that initial uh, vaccination, and so the problem that that we see a lot of producers will get bring up their herds to work their calves. Uh, a lot of times, they're you know it's borrowed help, friends, neighbors, mm-hmm. whatever, right. They work those calves, vaccinate them. They're not going to bring the, that whole herd back up again, 14, 21 days later. To right. To give them a booster.
0: Convenience, you right. know, like that's, that's not convenient.
1: No. And so that was one of the big things that we wanted to look at. Okay. We're seeing this, this increasing trend in use of killed vaccines, not being boosted, what exactly are we dealing with? Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to examine that and we modeled it after that. Uh, and so we wanted to find out these producers, you're using this particular strategy. What benefits are they seeing from it?
0: Mm -hmm. So in each of your groups, you said you had three treatments. There's around 50 calves in each treatment. Is that what I, you told me before? Plus or minus.
1: Plus or yeah, Yeah. just around that average. Total was
0: a 151 calves. Okay. So how were these calves managed? Tell us a little bit about the background of the trial.
1: This was a field trial. Uh, It was not uh, a controlled environment Uh, and that was one of the the other reasons why we did it this way because there's not a lot of field studies out there examining these vaccination strategies. And so we used uh, 151 calves uh, at the OSU South Range, Angus, Angus Cross calves. Uh, They were approximately 69 days of age plus or minus 37 days at the time we started the study. Uh, and then calves were assigned to treatments by their breed of sire, um, their sex and date of birth. Uh, and then we took, uh, measurements. We collected, uh, blood and body weight measurements at six different time points throughout the course of the study. The calves in treatment one and two, like Mm -hmm. I had said, were vaccinated on day zero, which is Branding. Branding. Okay. Uh, and then they were revaccinated again on day 127, which was weaning. And then treatment three got their first vaccination day 127 weaning and then followed up 14 days later with their with their revaccination. And so from weaning on for 56 days, every 14 days, we pulled the calves in. We took body weight measurements and uh, we also collected blood samples from them.
0: Okay. So these blood samples, that was the key part of this. That kind of showed you how the animal's body took in that vaccine. Here I am talking very simply, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not not, going to be a vet or anything. But, you know, how that affected and how long that that the titers, right? Is that the right word? Mm, It lasted. Okay, here we go. Lasted in their blood, right? So tell us a little bit about that. Maybe I stole your thunder there.
1: No, that was, that's the measurement that we used. The titer. Um, The titer, right. Um, So we spun down the blood and separated serum from the whole blood. Uh, And then we took those serum samples and sent them off to the Oklahoma Animal Disease Diagnostic Laboratory here in Stillwater, Okay, Uh, and they performed the serology analysis uh, on those serum samples. And so that measured then the antibody titer concentration level in that serum. And so that's kind of a um,
0: the antibodies and let me interrupt you. The antibodies to prevent BVD. Right, is that what we're talking? Right. So, okay.
1: So, we gave those calves. Uh, we they were vaccinated with a uh, five way uh, respiratory vaccine. Right. IBR, mm-hmm. BVD type one and two, BRSV and PI three. Okay. Um, and so we looked at specifically was the BVD uh, type one. Okay. Um, and and that was the analysis that we did. And so those antibody titers is the measure of the antibody response produced from that vaccine. And so it was different. It was varied based upon the product used, whether it was killed or modified Mm -hmm. live. And then also the timing of that, that that vaccine was given.
0: So tell us kind of what you found. That's, That's a great background. Tell us what those tighter measurements showed based on the vaccine timing.
1: So the, Uh, treatment two, the modified live given at branding followed three vaccination of modified live at weaning, uh, had the overall highest antibody titers, the treatment one, the killed vaccine at branding modified live at weaning, uh, and the treatment three that didn't get a vaccine, uh, at branding, those two treatment groups had the exact same amount of titers Uh, at weaning, which was pretty much zero. And so that was probably the most interesting thing that we saw, was that those calves that were given a killed vaccine at Branding, without a booster, there was no booster administered, the results were the same as the group that got no vaccine at Branding. And so it was a little alarming.
0: Yeah. I guess. Interesting. Um,
1: Very interesting. Uh, because there's a lot of producers, I think, that think that they're vaccinating uh, for BRD at that point, using a killed vaccine, Um, but having no booster, it was no different than not giving them a vaccine at all.
0: Some producers, again, I'll probably reiterate what you just said, some producers may be feeling like, if I give this, no matter what it is, if I give this respiratory vaccine, killed or modified live, I'm getting some prevention to maybe say some summer pneumonia or some summer respiratory virus, but what you saw in your study was those giving the those calves who got the killed would have had no immunity to something like that, right?
1: Well, based on the results that we had um, during that extremely vulnerable period of time, you know, pre-weaning and and also early weaning. Um, they did not have the antibody titers to suggest that there was any sort of level of protection there
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that there's a multitude of reasons why, uh, one, like I said, because that killed vaccine requires a booster. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's also, um, uh, maternal antibodies, right. right? Those antibodies that are passed on to the calf from, from colostrum mother's milk right mm-hmm. uh, and so those those antibodies will interfere with the calf's ability to uh, mount an immune response they'll kind of take over they'll they'll come in they'll see that that vaccine antigen as a foreign body and they'll grab onto it and they'll neutralize
0: it which uh, is which in a disease situation where they're being presented with a disease that's what we want that colostrum that's the whole point we, yeah that's the whole point passive right
1: immunity right,
0: right but if we're vaccinating too early like you said
1: right um so yeah though you know there's different things that that could have caused that okay uh, we don't know for certain right what that cause was uh, we only know the results that we we got from it <laughs> now i will say that that group that was given a killed vaccine at branding responded very well to the modified live vaccine that we gave them at weaning, uh, so much so that they actually ended up with the highest average immune titers by the end of the study. Mm -hmm. And so what that told us was that all the benefit in vaccinating that particular scenario is going to the buyers,
0: the buyers of, of these caps.
1: Right. Right. Like I said, that, that vulnerable period during pre weaning and early weaning, um, that protection wasn't there. But by the end of our preconditioning study, uh, they did actually have the highest antibody titers providing all the protection to that buyer when they entered into the next segment of the uh, beef industry.
0: So that's so interesting. Just, I could totally geek out on this. This is just really cool. It is a small study, but it does give us some insight in some of these, into some of these practices. I think we would both encourage producers you know, maybe who are doing some types, some different types of vaccine timing to evaluate what they're doing, talk to their veterinarian and and create a vaccination strategy that coincides with our goals. So if you do want some immunity to maybe some of those summer summer things, maybe you've been presented with that. I know some producers have told us that that they really have some respiratory issues during the summertime then maybe you need to evaluate what you're using or, you know, how are you, how are using it? Um, We could go way deep into this killed versus modified live vaccine thing. That might be a, that's a, that's a a different conversation for a different day, but it it does make a difference. Thanks so much, Jeff, for giving us some insight into the study. Is there anything else that you would want to, you know, provide or any more information that, I didn't give you a chance to say.
1: (laughs) Well, I I will also add that there was – we also – I mentioned that we collected body weights across Mm -hmm. all six time points. Uh, There was no difference in in body weight um, gain throughout the study across the three treatments. Um, And then also that that group, the treatment three that got vaccinated at weaning and revaccinated 14 days later, they were actually – the slowest to produce uh, antibody titers and so we speculate that that was attributed to weaning stress when there's a certain level of stress that the animal is enduring it's been shown that the the vaccine uh, efficacy the how well that vaccine works um, may be compromised due to the amount of stress that that animal is is undergoing
0: Well, thanks so much, Jeff, for taking the time to talk about your research. Very interesting. Jeff, He's going to be our coordinator through this summer, and then he is off to vet school. So (laughs) by uh, fall next year, when we were in the midst of the OQBN program, uh, we will have a new coordinator and and hopefully just will be as strong as ever. Just to reiterate, the spring calf health programs that are going on this spring, I've got a list here. I pulled it out of my pile here. Um, We're having them here. So those of you who are in Woodward County, Cleveland County, Noble County, Grady County, Pawnee County, Comanche, Tillman Counties, and Kay County will have one in your area. So um, I'm just saying this to prick your ears up. If you if you hear your, your county named there or if it's in a close proximity to you, look out on our show notes and there'll be flyers or contact your county extension office for more details. But thanks, thanks Jeff, for being here. I guess I came to your office, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dan, I just want to finish by saying Producers should definitely work with their veterinarians, right. um, talk to them and, and find out, you know, tell them what you're using, tell them your, your health protocols and, and, and work with them so that they can help develop uh, the best possible outcome for those calves.
0: Right, right. Great way to end it. I hope all of you are having a great spring day today and the wind isn't blowing too hard and tune in next week and um, hope to see you then.